Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where my friends and I play the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. We're about to begin episode one of a campaign entitled Intersections. It's part of the World War Cthulhu Cold War series. It was created by Dominic McDowell, developed by Scott Dorward, and written by Scott Dorward, Matthew Sanderson, and Paul Fricker. Matthew himself will be our game master, and we are very happy to have him here. And so, without further delay, let's begin our journey into the darkness. Matt? Right. Thank you very much, Tom. We begin in a lovely period of time, um, November 1974. So it is, I'll give you the exact date. It is Tuesday the 6th of February. In fact, no, that's 1973. Until I'm correct. It is Tuesday the 5th of February, 1974. Um, we'll do a quick round of introductions um, and then give a quick overview of how you react to a particular situation rather than go through the motions with everyone you know, going through the same thing and it'd be a bit repetitive otherwise. So if we start with uh, Tom, whereabouts are you are you based uh, while you're between missions? Where, whereabouts have you got your home base of operations? You're muted. Um, I tend to move around a lot. Uh, currently, I am based in uh, uh, Constantinople. Uh, and um, uh, I'm I'm investigating a number of interesting anomalies. My 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 job is uh, I'm a forensic uh, scientist and a, and a medical uh, uh, person. Uh, biology is my major uh, my major focus. Um, it's just there's some certain interesting anomalies that that tie into my past and things that I've been interested in for a long time. Um, so that's really, that's where I am. I'm, I'm in Constantinople, and, but I've been all over the place. I don't really have a home base anymore. Mm -hmm. I go where I'm called. Okay, so you're, you're not necessarily affiliated with the CIA station oh. in Istanbul, but they, they would be aware of you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sort of on call. They, they call me for certain special needs when they need them. Yeah. I'm the expert in certain unusual fields of study. Gotcha. Okay, let's move around to Jeff. I'm going to say that I'm probably right in the heart of the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. area. So maybe, maybe in the suburbs in uh, Virginia. Just outside of Langley, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yep, that works. Especially as they moved the CIA headquarters in the fifties from DC to Langley, mm -hmm. so there's still, like, still a fairly heavy CIA presence in Washington itself. Okay. okay. Right, and around to Bill. Uh. My character is actually a Harvard alumni, so he will be splitting his time between Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Berlin, Germany. Ah. 
interesting um, location in Berlin. <laughs> Lots of paperwork getting in and out of there even then. Right. In which case, uh, this will probably happen for Bill and uh, Tom, first of all, that you are contacted um, probably fairly late in the evening on Monday evening, um, your local time, and said um, from your normal point of contact within the CAA, whether it be a handler or an info, info route that gets to you, um, your presence is requested in DC pretty much immediately. Um, this is an unscheduled briefing. Um, they want to conduct it in person because it is fairly um, fairly sensitive. So you are collected by um, by private car and then put on um, the equivalent of a Learjet. You know, it's a private chartered flight that takes you to Dulles Airport and then into um, central Washington. Uh, for Jeff, it's really simple. They send a car and you, you get the message in the probably the middle of what would be Tuesday uh, Tuesday morning um, Tuesday night morning about 3 a.m. probably mm -hmm. so you are uh, probably woken um, in the um, in the wee small hours but, um, we'll do a quick round uh, round Robin to call you how uh, how do you react is there anything that you particularly want to take with you do you go under protest or basically put, put some color into how your how your character responds to this Well, I'll, I'll say that uh, I probably am used to this by now, um, but I'm still not happy about a 3 a.m. phone call. So mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm used to it, but I'm a little bit angry and uh, perturbed that this can't wait another three hours until 6 a.m. at least. Yeah, it is very unsociable hours. <laughs> you think you're pissed. <laughs> no traffic, though, so that's good. <laughs> I am I am right in the middle of a tracking project, and um, I really don't want to leave it. But um, I imagine I probably have an assistant, so I'm going to have to leave it to him. Um, DC calls—they're always interrupting me right at the most inopportune moments. Um, but I'm used to traveling, so I can put my things together very quickly and. Uh, get on that Learjet and how long is the flight? Probably. Uh, this is one thing I did, uh, did a quick 20 hours. Yeah, probably. It's not quite that long. Um, it's closer to 11 hours start to finish from direct from Istanbul. They're flying um, straight there. Yeah. You'd probably end up stopping at least one point along the way, either to do a, uh, do a partial refuel or to change pilot, etc. Um, you stop at, um, Orly Airport, which is um, in southeast Paris, because Charles de Gaulle um, Airport doesn't open until seventy-five. Okay. So that uh, that when it's still in the process of being built, right? But Orly is a more established airport at that point. Um, when you arrive, particularly then for um, for yourself, Tom, the plane when it lands on the runway, it doesn't. Um, there's obviously the attendants that come over and start to um, start to do refueling. It, you don't get the impression that it's being put into storage, like being parked up. It's more of a case of they're getting it refueled for an immediate turnaround. All right. But you know, um, go ahead. I probably go 
down the ramp. They don't bother to, you know, it, it's not like parking like a regular airplane. So uh, am I met like at the bottom of the stairs or? Yep, you are indeed. Um, you are met by a, seems to be a staff driver, um, pretty much a, I'm almost like a um, limousine type of fare. Okay. Did they give uh, me any kind of short brief or anything to read on the airplane or? I probably asked them all along the way, so what is this all about? And they're like, mm, we're not going to tell you. Yeah, the, the info that they, um, they have on the plane, um, you actually talk with the pilot because you can quite happily go up to the, um, to the cockpit and get some, uh, get some information from there. Um, they don't have much to tell you other than that this has been a request that's come in from the OREA, which is the Office of Russian and European An um, Analytics. So it's not a department, obviously a department you've heard of, but not a department that you've had much briefing with because they are, they are the analysts. They're the guys that sit in the, the back rooms and put together the vast amounts of information that come in on a daily basis. Mm. They're not exactly active out in the field. So it's, it's an odd request that you've been called in by them. Well, the, the Russian connection sort of intrigues me, but um, I tend to be fairly stoic. So I, uh, although I'm really, kind of pissed off inside I'm, I'm more annoyed than anything else i just you know fine mm -hmm. yeah and say so just a bit uh, annoyed about it being that early in the morning um how does bill react uh my character's a company man so he's used to this uh he receives the call uh he gets up has black coffee he puts on a 500 hundred dollar bespoke suit he looks like he just, you know, rolled out of a, a magazine. He's fastidiously dressed, even at three o'clock in the morning, shaven, fresh haircut, you know, bag packed, sidearm, you know, red, you know, standard issue. And I go and I get in the car and I let, you know, pretty much like Tom, you know, I'm used to this. I'm a company man. This, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. This is my life and this is what I've chosen. That'd be good. Right. In which case, the two car, uh, the different cars that come and collect you, because you arrive at slightly different times, um, probably only with about half an hour of each other, um, go towards the Fairfax Hotel, which is on the Fairfax Embassy Row, um, one of the uh, fairly old historic hotels in Washington. Um, it's a little way further north of where the old CIA headquarters was, but it's in like the north west corner of downtown. It's a very nice, opulent hotel, but again, at this point, because it's the wee small hours of the morning, there's pretty much the concierge up and no one else. Um, so you, your cars deposit you at the front, um, the front lobby, and says you'll be um, there'll be someone waiting for you inside. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of about 15 minutes, that's, um, say, Jeff arrives first. And then followed by um, followed by Bill and then Tom bringing up um, the third. But then it's very clear that there's just the three of you there. So do a quick, again, round as to describe um, kind of how you're dressed and whether you, well, do you know any, any and anyone else that's there? Um, I was going to ask that. 
<laughs> that is completely up to you if you want to have known any other character from previous uh, previous missions or whether you are quite happy to go in blind. Hmm. I'm going to say I actually know Jeff because okay. we're both intelligence officers. You know, if we've both been with the company for long enough time, we've probably crossed paths or read reports from each other or maybe needed to talk on the phone about other agents or other people that we're handling or other things that we've received. So, you know, it's, it's not a hugging opportunity, but it's, you know, nice to see you, you know, a nod across a room or here we go again mm -hmm. type thing. So yeah. that, that's my assumption there. Tom, I'm not, Tom's character. I'm not familiar with. And I just, I'm dressed like in a suit, but I, 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 I'm a doctor. So. <laughs> All right, so this this will be a good opportunity then on a couple of fronts to do some introductions well gentlemen this seems to be the place not very many of us i'd expected there to be more but uh perhaps they're just late uh i'm dr uh jason jacoby a biologist uh forensic expert and Dr. You, Jacoby, pleasure to meet you, Ian Summerton. It's pronounced Jacoby, sir. Thank you. Mr. Summerton. We're not going to do that again, are we, Tom? <laughs> I'm trying to be stoic. Don't make me kick. I'm sorry. <laughs> your, your name's not on your screen, though. I don't know who you are. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, doctor, and, nice to meet you, doctor. My name is uh, Robert LeBeau. Uh, you can call me Bob if you want. Bob. Well, if I call you Bob, then you can call me Jace, which is what most of my friends call me. Any of you are in any need of medical treatment? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. The night's young. Did you guys have a hard time getting here? Uh, I came from Constantinople. Well, oh. Sorry, Istanbul. Wow. So, yeah, I'm a bit, uh, I slept a bit on the plane, but uh, it's been a long, long flight. 11 hours. Wow. Big time difference there, I guess. Jet lag. How long did it take you to get here? Uh, only about an hour, if that. So you're local? Yeah. And you, Mr. Summerton? I'm out of Cambridge. Oh, that's a nice area. I went to Cambridge. Went I'm to a Harvard Harvard. man myself. Yes, sir. Harvard Medical School. Go Crimson Tide or whatever it do is. Any, I don't know. Do either one of you have any idea what's going on here? This seems rather, well, I, you know, we know it's CIA, so it is covert, but it seems overly covert. Usually give me a briefing uh, to read on the airplane while we're flying. I had nothing to read on that airplane. It was excruciating. As soon as you say CIA, I look around and make sure nobody's listening. I thought that was just the three of us. Uh, um, the concierge has gone back behind into a backroom office, so it is literally just the three of you stood in this rather nice combination of marble floored and dark wood paneled walled lobby. Nice hotel. Very nice. They probably don't have... Uh, all of the amenities of an actual modern hotel, but uh, it's 
stylish, I suppose. Quaint. Is there, any, is there any 70s tackiness to it at all? Uh, no, if anything, you could best describe the um, the decor and the feel of it as very Parisian. Hmm. Uh, it's, it is quite a uh, refined, quite upper-class hotel. Okay. So it's it's definitely, this, this is a place where uh, dignitaries would come in. Um, I know that Eisenhower um, had, I think, his inaugural dinner here. So it is somewhere that is fair to say fairly prestigious in the in the capital. Mm -hmm. uh, you're left alone for about five minutes, so a little bit of small talk, say introductions and so forth, and then um, a what would best be described as a waitress um, wearing hotel uniform um, comes down a short flight of marble steps from the direction of the dining hall and looks uh, looks between the three of you. Ah, you, uh, you would be the Dunbar party, I take it. I that's, that's true, yes. If, if, if you'd like to follow me, I'll take you to your table. Thank you, man. I look at the other two like, surprising. All right. And she leads you through um, towards the dining area. And it's... No one is up. The kitchen should be closed hours upon hours ago. And stood in the sat in the middle of the room, um, the series of round tables, again all laid out for breakfast uh, for the breakfast uh, service. Um, there is a man, well, in fact, two men sat there, um, both in business suits. Both look like they've got bags under their eyes that they've been up for quite an exceptional amount of time. Um, there's the smell of coffee is quite strong as you get close uh, close to them. And it looks like they're just fine. Um, they're just um, starting to uh, butter up rolls. Um, looks like they're getting ready for a uh, for a very late dinner. Uh, the one of the men stands up. He's slightly rotund, um, so fairly relatively tall, just over six uh, six foot. Um, a small degree of stubble. Um, very round glasses. He smiles quite warmly and says, oh, gentlemen, please, if you'd like to um, take a seat. I um, understand some of you are going to be quite, uh, maybe a bit peckish after um, a long journey, specifically looking at uh, Dr. Jacoby. Um, if you'd like to uh, partake, uh, we have a steak dinner lined up for you. Hmm. You're talking my language. <laughs> well, uh, I'd like some coffee at the moment. Uh, Oh yes, we we pretty much have it coming uh, regularly. They're they're filling it up because boy, we we need it. We haven't had sleep in the last forty eight hours. All right, so I sit down with them. Yep, take it. Likewise, then uh, Lebeau and Summerton also also take seats. Yep, yep. Yeah. So can can I make, can I ask too real quick? Um, is any of this so far considered out of the ordinary? Um, this is clandestine, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it's not unheard of to have off-site meetings at such places. Okay. I, I kind of half expected Chinese food <laughs> and that they would give us our, uh, our top secret orders in little fortune cookies at the end that we would break open and find out where we were supposed to go. It's quite clandestine, yeah. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're um, again taking in the scenery and surroundings here, um, given the size of the dining room, um, it doesn't echo particularly in here. Mm -hmm. So the acoustics are quite nice and contained to your table. 
trying to bug any area here would be pretty difficult. Um, you would pretty much need a bug on the table for anyone to hear this. So this is quite a nice room for, or quite a nice location for having a long discussion that you don't want particularly overheard. And especially at this time of night when everyone in the building, even most of the night staff that are pretty much skeleton staff, everyone else here is asleep. Mm -hmm. So um, I suppose introductions all around, gentlemen. We don't know who you are. We don't recognize these men, do we? Um, there's a vague recollection, but it's no one that you've spoken to previously. Okay. So, um, the, so the first gentleman and, uh, starts off. Um, Thaddeus Dunbar. Um, I'm the regional director for Near, uh, Near and Middle East Operations. And this is my, uh, my assistant, uh, Jeremy Muller. Uh, we have, yeah, a bit of story to tell you. Um, you'll see looks between you you've made introductions or know each uh, know each other i take it yes pretty much mm -hmm. these two seem to know one another better than uh, I'm, I'm a stranger to both of them bob and i have uh, worked together before ah gotcha gotcha i'm sorry did you say mr dunbar yes yeah thaddeus thaddeus okay and jeremy mueller that's gotcha. it Right. Um, we might as well get going and we'll see as, as food comes out, uh, we can take a break and say have a, have a much needed uh, refreshment. The reason for bringing you in quite at um, such an ungodly hour as this is that we are on a bit of a clock. We've received information actually coming out of the Istanbul office. So this is where he looks across to um, to Jacoby. We didn't want to give you briefing on site because we wanted to give everyone a briefing together, at least the first wave of people we're sending out there. Um, but we have a potential walk-in. Um, we've received contact from a local information dealer um, Uktu Makar. Um, I'm sorry, what was that name again? Uh, Uktu Makar. He's a known information dealer. He supplied um, the station in Istanbul on a semi-regular basis with anything that he considers to be useful for us that comes in. Um, he came to us with a note that he had been approached by a suspected, or at least was previously suspected, now confirmed, um, KGB operative by the name of uh, Vadim Kasakov. Uh, Kazakov is wanting to come in. He wants to defect. We've only got relatively basic information on him, though. So we need to uh, we need to get more about him on the ground to assess a whether his intention to defect is genuine, and b what information can we get out of him. It's all well and good having him come across, but if he doesn't give us anything that we don't already know, it's a lot of effort to go to for something that, frankly, we could spend our attention in a much more productive manner. It certainly could also be a, a trap designed to embarrass the CIA. Potentially. If, if his intention is not genuine. And so this is part of what your mission will entail, is to go out there and assess 
whether Kazakov genuinely wants to defect, if he is going to be useful, and then if you make the call that he is, bring him in. We don't want to involve the local station particularly, because as you've quite rightly identified, Doctor, that if this is a trap, if this is a ploy, then we could be potentially putting our agents on the ground in danger and leaving a city that is pretty much in the front line of the conflict. Indeed. Yeah, almost unmanned as a result. We have a very minimal complement, as I'm sure you'll be aware, over there anyway, of, um, of staff. So we want to try and keep them ring-fenced from this whole thing as much as possible. In other words, you you want to... Uh, we're, we're not going to be going as CIA. Yeah. We want to keep the CIA out of this as far as any information transfer goes. Nobody should know that we're CIA. Oh, the, the local staff will certainly know of your presence because it would be a bit, a bit crazy not to tell them. But I'd be prepared for some resentment on their part that we don't think them, that they may think that we don't trust them with an op um, operation of this magnitude. They may see you coming in as representatives from, uh, from Langley as being um, sidelining them deliberately. But your session, that's what, that's what you're doing is you are going in and pushing them out of the way, but it's for their own good, just in case this does go south very quickly. Well, let's hope that they're professional enough to accept that. Hmm. Um, um, Kyle Layton, who's the um, he's the station chief out there, um, he's a good man. He's been in the position for a fair while. I I will I'll pretty much bet that he is going to be on side with you. Um, I don't know much about his staff and his cover. Um, the consulate general. Does that. What do we know about uh, uh, Vladimir Kasikov already? Um, he pulls over, uh, pulls over um, a notepad and quickly scans through. We know that he is a captain first rank in the Soviet Navy um, before he was recruited into the KGB. Um, but up until now, we, we only believed him as a suspected agent. He'd shown certain signs of being in a good position to be an operative, but there'd been nothing confirmed up until this point. So now that he's come in and police, well, he hasn't made direct contact with the CIA. He's gone through this information broker, this um, Macar. Oktuk Macar. Yes. Okay, so we we don't need to double up on that as far as confirming that he's KGB. That's that's already been established. Yeah, the lo the local office have taken care of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a fairly intensive day or so pulling up what information they can and all the all the information they've been able to pull in suggests that he is on the level mm -hmm. has he given an official reason why uh, he has stated that he is unhappy with something that the, um, that the KGB are currently involved with but he won't reveal any further information until he meets with the, rep the representatives of the CIA on the ground. Another reason for sending someone from Langley is that it makes it look like we are taking, well, as we are, we're taking this very seriously, that we are effectively sending people from the top to deal with him. So this is a show of faith on our part. 
Okay. Well, I trust that Langley will be able to analyze any information he might give us to decide whether they're not just feeding us a line or, uh, you know, if it's actually legitimate information. Um, this is where Muller perks up. A lot of this decision-making is going to be taken care of by you guys on the ground. Um, we've been given your names as the key people to deal with this. Um, he, you can tell he's a little bit, um, let's describe it, he's a little bit on edge when he says that. It's like it's not his decision to send you. It's almost you get the impression that he would have picked some um, another team to do this job, that this is a job that should be in his hands but has been removed from him. Hmm. I, I kind of sat up a little bit straight in my chair when he referred to us as being the top. <laughs> really? Okay. So my question is, is under normal circumstances, would the three of us discuss this in front of these two um, as to what our plans would be, or do we go off and make our own plans? And, and either I, or is acceptable. Well, I was going to say, they look like they're exhausted and tired, and they're probably not really involved in it anyway. They're just giving us the information. What about our cover stories? Is that going to be provided, or are we um, coming up on all that for ourselves? No, um, standard legends have been established for you. Um, you'll be going to the American Consulate General um, in Istanbul. It's actually a little bit further north than the main the main city itself, so it's a little bit removed from the area. But there is a fairly large American community around there, so you'll be you'll certainly be at home. Um, you are assigned as consular agents. Um, you're brought in for some fairly delicate but confidential negotiation that is taking place um, with some clients, obviously business clients, that are looking to establish um, east-west trade routes. So a lot of the staff there will know that you're working on some fairly confidential hush-hush material, so they won't be going prying. Uh, the only people that will know, obviously, of your true um, identity and the reason why you are there are the CIA staff. So we have Kyle Layton, who's your station chief. Uh, so he's basically your head on the ground. Uh, Gail Bennett is an opera, um, is a field operative stationed there as well. Um, she will actually meet you with a car when you arrive at Istanbul Airport. Um, she'll then take you up to the Consulate General to, um, to discuss matters there. And the American Consul himself, um, Oscar Harlow, um, he is aware that he has a CIA station in his consulate. It's only, only fair and his standard practice that he should be informed. Um, he, again, is a man of the highest integrity. Um, he is trusted. Um, he is actually the son of a um, former senator. So he is someone that has a good degree of power and influence here at the Capitol. Don't piss him off. Hmm. Uh, um, Harlow's first name was? Oscar. Oscar. And those are pretty much the only three people in town that should know that you're coming. Okay. Leighton, Bennett, and Harlow. Mm -hmm. That's it. Does Katsikoff speak English? Uh, we believe he's multilingual, so yes. Um, he yeah. poses very much in a similar, ma um, similar manner as what we're sending you over uh, there as. Um, he's a representative for a... Um, I believe an import-export business based in Odessa that he travels around the Black Sea 
through the various ports posing as a representative of this import export company that they can then obviously establish um, business to business trade and it allows him to do a circuit around the region to pick up as much information as he can from the front line well i'm wondering if uh see i i have an office there already in constant in, in istanbul that's where i i came from um i'm doing uh, medical research um I'm wondering if we could use the angle of getting him into my offices uh, for medical reasons, uh, which is where we could do a good job assessing his seriousness about, uh, you know, <laughs> gives us a perfectly legitimate front to bring him in in that case. Yeah, I mean, th this will all be um, discussions you'll have with him. Um, this is uh, this is Dunbar saying that we, we know that a meeting has been set up with Makar where you can discuss obviously meeting then Kazakov face to face. Um, that would be something to go through him. All right. Well, um, any, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, otherwise, uh, gentlemen, do you have any further questions from, uh, from either myself or my colleague here? How about well, time? Are we under any time constraints one way or another? Uh, we know that the meeting has been scheduled with Makar for the day after tomorrow. Um, obviously, Istanbul is eight hours ahead for us here, so it's already midday there now. So it's partly were, by travel time going back over there. They were refueling the airplane when I left the airplane a while ago. Yeah, we're, we're planning on getting you out there as soon as we can. The, the impression that my ass left in the chair is probably still warm. <laughs> yeah, he, he chuckles. Well, uh, shall we eat and then go? Yeah, or if you want to get some uh, some shut eye first, then that's certainly uh, certainly welcome. We've got your rooms booked uh, booked here. Cause we weren't too sure if you're going to be arriving either now or slightly later. Um, you will be joined by another team when you arrive. They might come in waves. Um, we don't want to. We don't want to alert anyone that's watching there, specifically anyone from MIT, um, the not the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, MIT is um, our counterparts in Turkey. It's the Turkish secret, um, effectively Turkish services. Um, well, then I guess we have some time to discuss this amongst ourselves. Um, uh, I guess the I guess the flight out is any time that we want it to be, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the latest we'd like to leave it um, would be half past four this afternoon. So that oh. gives you time for some that gives you time for some rest. Uh, gives you time if you want to hit the Library of Congress. So if you want to do um, requisition anything in particular, it'll give us time to get the diplomatic bag set so that we can get anything um, over there without having to go through customs. But that's, right. that's the absolute latest that we want to leave. It is half full this afternoon. And you'll have, you have our, uh, all of our, uh, all, you've got all the information in order to give us uh, any false identifications that we need or. Yeah, all, all that will be delivered to you consulate, at the end. Consulate papers, yeah. yeah. All right, well then. We haven't eaten. Where's our food? Uh, it's, um, like, it's like the, the the waiting staff in here is so slow. It's not like it's oh, it's three in the morning. 
Um, Dunbar does raise a cup and hits it with a spoon that does ring. It sends a rather harsh ring out across the room, at which point the waitress that you saw earlier um, comes back in through the main door. Um, Dunbar just nods to her. She nods in return, and that starts the process of food being brought out, along with another two um, two jugs of coffee, which are quite uh, quite quickly devoured. Okay. Yep. And right. always a nice, a nice, quiet, and relative much appreciated dinner follows. All right, gentlemen. Um, I was going to say Dunbar and Muller. At which point they they eat fairly quickly. They do make their um, goodbyes fairly quickly. Um, evidently off to hit the sack. Yeah. Um, they leave you to um, say that the room is uh, the room here is yours. Um, collect keys from the front desk. Um, over to you, gentlemen. Shall we get together? Let's say at noon. Uh, sleep until then. That's fine. I don't I'm know. Gonna, I assume. That, I assume that they've given us. Uh, briefings to read that kind of maybe go in a little bit more detail as to the verbal briefing that we just had. I'd like to see something in writing, so I'm just going to go back to my room and kind of review that. Yeah, yeah. This isn't a setup. Um, the documents they provide you go over everything as mm -hmm. you would expect. Yep, um, yep. They lay out the definite parameters of um, of your mission, which again, as um, you would expect. Okay. Um, one one other thing that does get um, that you do notice as you go through the um, through the paperwork, there is a page which is typed out on um, dot matrix feed paper, which has been inserted into all of your documents. And what it says on there is this building anticipation as he tries to get the share working is. This. No pressure. Oh. All right. Um, shall one of us read that out loud? Take it, Bill. All right. I'm. I have to figure out how to move these. Okay. There we go. Perfect. Uh, greetings to our American cousins. It has come to my attention that you are soon to be flying to Istanbul. This is an area of interest to me, and this is the first time we have had chance to get Section 46 operatives on the ground there. Istanbul was formerly home to one of the most powerful cults in Europe, known as the Brothers of the Skin. Intelligence suggests that this cult has disappeared, perhaps in its entirety. There are numerous reasons why this might be the case. The cult has died out, they have been destroyed by a rival power, they have gone to ground, they have moved their base of operations, and so on. The fact remains that there is a perceived power vacuum in the occult underground of Istanbul that other cults may seek to exploit. If multiple factions attempt to claim the city, any resulting conflict should it spill out into the open, could threaten the stability of the region. We need to know what is happening there. Your mission, find out what happened to the Brothers of the Skin. Skin. 
find out what cults are active in the city and what they are doing. Assess whether any of the active cults pose an immediate threat to the safety and stability of the city and region, and if any cults do pose such a threat, deal with them as best as possible. I understand you will be directed to Uktu Makar, a known information dealer, in relation to your main assignment. According to my intelligence, Makar is known to have associated with various individuals active in the occult underground. It is my recommendation that he be approached for leads in regards to Section 46's concerns in the area. Best of luck, and it's signed, N. There you go. Now, a uh, question for the GM. Would we be aware at all of some of the history of the Brotherhood of the Skin? Um, other than the fact that they have a reputation that they were known to have a stranglehold on much of Europe, um, particularly around the 20s and the turn of the century. But since the mid to late 20s, not much has been heard of them at all. Yeah. Definitely they seem to have, their, their power and influence has very much shrunk back to Istanbul. They, they were known to have come from that area or Constantinople as it was then. Mm -hmm. um, so they are native to the area, but actions since then, not yeah. people. Are we also aware of some of the other cults that are throughout Europe? Uh, Europe is pretty much a not an unknown area, but it's more of a case that there's no one single group that claims to be dominant in there. Um, mm -hmm. The closest thing that comes up is actually um, more towards um, Arabia, North Africa, the Middle East, um, known as the Black Brotherhood. Uh, they are a terrorist organization known to most um, intelligence agencies around the world. But analysts have had, say, a fair, a fair number of hours head-scratching trying to work out what the hell this group are playing at and who they're affiliated with. They will bomb, they will kill, they will slaughter anyone. They don't seem to have any preferences on politics. They seem to just go for the, um, whoever pay, will pay them the most. So trying to predict what they're up to is almost impossible. But that's the the Black Brotherhood are the biggest um, force in the, at least in the occult movement because there are rumours from um, what you are familiar with with your Section Forty Six and M briefings um, that they may be affiliated with um, one form of an avatar of the Arthur There does seem to be a lot of chaotic action here, as as per the analysts not being able to know where the hell they're going to strike next. But that's only rumors and supposition at this point. Hence the chaos connection. Indeed. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. So. So if, e if each of us received this dot matrix printout, mm -hmm. I guess that would also raise the question you know, if Jeff and I know each other, do we know each other at the CIA level or do we know each other also at the Section 46 level? That again is completely up to you. Um, Section 46 is 
very much a covert organization within the CIA, within SIS, and the various Western intelligence agencies. It has no official power as such. It has lots of connections, mm-hmm. lots of people that have been brought into it by various different uh, by various different routes, but it doesn't advertise itself in that respect. Right. So if you know that someone else that you know is not um, a Section 46 operative, all well and good. But it might mean, for instance, you didn't know that Jacoby was one before tonight. So that, that is up to you. They might not know it still. I might not know that they are. Exactly. They probably know each other is. So. Well, given that you've received the um, the paperwork and that this seems to be a fairly um, cut-and-paste copy in each folder, you can maybe come to the assumption, or assume at least, that each of you have received the same notes, because otherwise how would they... Um, there doesn't seem to be any identifying mark that says, this one's for you, this one's for you, this mm-hmm. one's for you. They are unnamed. Right. But we wouldn't discuss that here. We might discuss it in the airplane, but that's it. Yeah, somewhere nice and private. Mm-hmm. Ian, do you want to just assume that you and I are both aware of each other then? Just sure. Sure, that's, you know, yeah, and, and that's fine by me. Or suspicions of uh, the doctor. Where yeah, we can give him this. We, we think he's with us, but we're just not 100% sure. Right. He hasn't given the secret handshake or shown the tattoo yet. So, okay. yeah. Right. Well, I, I think it would be reasonable that, that there's a possibility that you might go, that's where I've seen him before. You know, he's associated down at the local cult meeting. <laughs> the cult is anonymous. It's like it's like the elks or the eagles or the mooses, as you know. It's yeah. Yeah. When you shake hand, you extend your forefinger up on mm-hmm. your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> this would be really obvious doing this in the air <laughs> all right um well i sleep i just get ready for bed and i sleep and i know that i'm gonna get a few hours of sleep i call in the uh a wake-up call for uh 11 o'clock mm-hmm. gotcha it'll take me all 15 minutes to shower and uh put together my things Okay, yeah. In which case, uh, sleep is uneventful. It's much needed and very relaxing and very peaceful. And especially in such an opulent setting as this, the hotel is very nice. Um, the beds are amongst, amongst the most comfortable that you've probably ever slept in. Mm. And yep, uh, you are woken at exactly 11 o'clock as requested or when everyone else wants to put through uh, wake-up calls too. Um, again, the message from the front desk, so you just... Uh, Wake up calls requested, sir. Hope you have a good morning. And then again, over to you on what you want to do in terms of preparation or any anything else before you head to the airport. Well, I gather up all my stuff. I, uh, I well, I take a shower. I gather up my stuff and I go down and I wait in the lobby. I expect them to be there within a few minutes. Yeah, you know, my standard cold shower, black coffee. You know, make sure my suit has been pressed and left there for me. And you know, cufflinks tie downstairs. I uh, leave a nice tip for that. You know, because they have to make the bed. Oh yes, 
Yeah, there, there has been already the uh, do not disturb sign put on the door because you'll be waking late. Right. Um, so as soon as I see them, I'm like, uh, gentlemen, uh, do they have a car for us? Yes, you do. You have a, um, a stretch limo, which is pulled up outside the front um, outside the front lobby when, when you want it. So it's on call. All right. Gentlemen, shall we? Shall we do, we do, shall. Do, do anything in advance here? Do we need to do any sort of research? Well, um, we do have uh, at our, the car at our disposal. Um, um, I don't know how much information we're going to find on the cult. I think we. Sure. I think we have all the information we need. I think any anything that detract that detours us from the airport. I think you know. I'd rather us get there, get on the ground, and take our time, have the extra hours to assess information on the ground as opposed to here. Yeah, if if we were in uh, if we were in Massachusetts, we could. Uh, uh, I believe Miskatonic Library has some uh, interesting uh, texts that we could consult, but uh, we don't have time for that. So. Um, I, I, I will just go. I, we'll, we'll find what we need in Constantinople. I assume, gentlemen, that you're armed. I am not. Or am I? I am. I am not. A doctor. <laughs> I'm armed with my talent. What about, do we know, um, I mean, I know things are fluid, but do we have a rough idea as to how long we're supposed to be there? Is this like a week or... Um, something something like this, it's going to be as long as it takes. Okay. It shouldn't be too long. We should be able to make contact with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Vladimir. Kasakov. Uh, I know I wrote it down. There it is. Uh, Vladimir mm. Kasakov. Uh, uh, we should be able to assess him in a single meeting, and then if... Uh, if we need to uh, extract him from the area, lift him from the area. Agreed. I don't think this is, I mean, this we've done this before. We all know the drill. A single meeting? How do are we, are we just expecting to just walk in and just ask him face to face? Why not? I mean, if he's interested in the CIA taking him out. What if he's lying? What difference would it make? That's what we're there to find out. Even, that's even, where, that's even, where our expertise comes in. Even if he's lying, then we interrogate him once we've once we've got him in C at CIA headquarters. Okay. Uh, the the only thing that we have to worry about is if the whole thing is a setup. If the thing is set up to embarrass the CIA, embarrass uh, any of us. You know, we have to make sure that the CIA isn't mentioned, that the CIA isn't... The, make sure that he's not recording our session with him mm -hmm. uh, in order to then use it against the CIA. Uh, otherwise, I think it's just a simple extraction. You just get a hold of him, assess whether he's really serious about it, and if he is, get him on a plane to the United States. Hmm. Okay. Through the American consulate, I mean. Um, 
the one that I'm I'm most concerned with is this Uktu uh, Macaw. Um, he's an information dealer. I'm assuming that we're talking about this maybe in the limo and then on the airplane. Yeah. Um, information dealers are notoriously unreliable. I mean, you might be able to get information out of them, but then they're going to sell that information right back to the bad guys if they, they're they out for making money. You know what I mean? True, but at the same time, uh, he seems to be known uh, Thaddeus Dunbar seems to, in other words, I would assume that the CIA vets their information gatherers. So there's got to be a certain amount of trust in order to, it's not so much that we distrust the information officer, it's that we distrust Vadim Kasakov. Right, because Makah doesn't want to poison the well. It's, it's evidently no. that he's on the payroll, so to speak. And his information has been good in the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why he came to us. Because the first time that he sells us short or short changes us or deliberately lies or misleads us, then there goes his paycheck. Right? Unless, unless somebody offers him an exorbitant amount of money to betray us, which would not be out of the ordinary. No, not at all. Given a million dollars, he could just disappear. So we have to be careful. As I say, uh, uh, my, my opinion is, is that uh, whatever information, whether he, he's lying or telling the truth, once we have the information, we can assess that. We don't have to assess that. The CIA will assess that information for itself. Uh, GM, is that true? Or is that what our job is? We are the CIA. We're supposed to assess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did make it fairly clear that it would right. be... Right, we're supposed to be the lie detector, so to speak. Okay. We're well, not just I... supposed to bag him and send him to Langley. Well, he's wanting to defect. Okay. We're, we're trying to determine whether he's serious, whether, he's, whether there's any value to anything that he knows. Correct. Because just because he wants to defect, doesn't mean that the CIA is going to go out of its way to, to grab him. But if he's got important information, if he's got strategic information, then, then it's worth it. It is, but this is a vetting process and we are the vetters. That's how you need to look at it. Well, right. That, that, but I, I'm simply talking about the, the, the extended end. Once, once he's out of the country, then the, he'll be in CIA custody. They can right. find out all the information or Correct. But it's almost like this is a test and we're going to ask him for certain pieces of information and we're going to ask him and then we're going to, it's up to us to verify that and find out if it's tasty or not, or if he actually really has something to offer of value. If not, then he can go back to the KGB. Well, and here's the other danger. And that's that the KGB is not a bumbling organization. There is a high chance that they know that he's interested in defecting and they're watching him like a hawk. There you go. Absolutely. So like I say, we have to make sure that we're not just embarrassed in this whole thing. Or killed. <laughs> or killed. Now, if, if, we're, if we're on the airplane fly, flying at this point, mm-hmm. um, 
I, I don't know. Is there, is there a way that agents uh, in section 46 can identify one another without saying, Hey, are you in, in uh, section 46? <laughs> um, one of the key things that's been passed down through, uh, through various agents is that they do have a office on the 10th floor of Century House, which is the SIS headquarters in, um, in London. So they do make reference to, oh, if you've ever been to um, Century House, have you been to, um, been to the office on the 10th floor? And that's uh, as it comes up in casual conversation, as you've, um, if you've dealt with other agencies as part of the special relationship between the US and the UK. So you just work that into a conversation. Um, uh, so we so, don't just we we don't just say, "Are you a friend of N?" <laughs> it's like, sorry, you are, you friend, N? "Are you a friend of Bill W?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I suppose at a certain point, after we've gone over all of this and we're flying along in the airplane, we might chit chat a bit about our pasts. Mm -hmm. And I might say something along the lines of, uh, well, once when I was visiting the 10th floor at Century House, uh, there was a, but I'm making bullshit up. I'm just, I'm just throwing the reference out there. So at that point, you should know that I'm also an agent. Right. And I should know that you're an agent because you know that I'm an agent. <laughs> and now we have to kill you. Yeah, that's when that's when he and I look at each other and say, "Let's get him." Yeah, <laughs> you can try, gentlemen. Ready, Noah. Um. Well, I can't think of anything else until we get to Constantinople. I'm sorry did I keep you? calling it that. I've just been used to calling it that for two and a half years. Did you say that's where you just came from? Yes, I have an office there. Is there see, anything? you can tell me or Ian as to, you know, what, what, when we land, what can we expect? Um, what, what's the atmosphere like? What's the, mm. is, are things tense? Are things, things are always tense in, in, in Istanbul. You have to just kind of play it by ear. There's a lot of political stuff going on there all the time. It, it's, it, the, the the phrase of political intrigue is often referred to as Byzantine. That's Byzantium right there. That's the city of Byzantium. So, uh, yeah, just be careful. You know, don't don't show any weakness. Does the uh, is it known that the KGB has a a large presence there, or is this sort of just an outlier? I think like the CIA, the KGB has a presence everywhere. I'm not sure how large it is. Uh, but it's a, it's a political, it's, it's a strong political area. So, yeah, I'm sure they've got a fairly strong political, they've got a very strong presence there. Um, I myself am stationed there because I'm working on certain bits of research. Um, not exactly sure of, uh, of, what you're aware of but if you're in uh if you're in section 46 you know there are some pretty strange things out there and constantinople tends to be a place where there's been some very strange things over the years 
elaborating on the political point, because this is something that you will all be aware of as members of, um, of the agency. There has been for the last few years a certain degree of um, anti-American sentiment in the city, uh, mainly stemming out of the left-wing student influence, um, student influence um, protesting about the Vietnam War. So there has been attacks on um, US Navy ships as they pass through the area, um, other American bases um, again stationed in the region. It's not particularly active at the moment, but it has been something that has flared up every so often um, over the course of the last few years while the conflict has been brewing up in the um, off in the Far East. Now, my office isn't too far from the American consulate, so that'll be, we can use that as kind of a secondary base of operations. Do we all speak the language? Um, I do. Turkish? You'll find that a lot of them speak English, but uh, uh, I don't speak Turkish. I probably have a smattering of Turkish because I'm, I'm there right now. But uh, as far as uh, uh, Kasikov goes, I speak fluent Russian. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that is pretty much true, that uh, the vast majority of the population will know at least enough conversational English to get by. Um, they might not necessarily be able to read it, but definitely they'll be able to have at least some kind of broken conversation. It was part of the British Empire, so... And ever since the Second World War, it has pretty much, while well, it remained neutral for most of the war up until when Turkey declared war on Germany in 45, um, it was very much a city of spies. It was a neutral city. And it's pretty much remained a, a hotbed ever since. It's beautiful. Some beautiful architecture there. Very mm -hmm. old, some very dirty places in there. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of get used to the culture. Can I, so this is my own ignorance, um, roughly speaking, like Istanbul or Constantinople, how big of a city are we talking? Is this like New York City equivalent or much, much smaller? Or I really have no idea. That's a good question. I haven't got a comparison um, in terms of scale to other cities, but it's pretty damn big when you look at it on a map. Um, the Bosphorus Strait, which goes obviously um, separates the European side from the Asian side of the city. Um, the city pretty much sprawls up almost the whole of the strait, definitely on the European side, to a lesser extent on the Asian side. But yeah, it's, it's a big sprawling metropolis with a lot of very different regions as well. Um, the further north you get, the more open it gets. But towards the south, where you have the likes of the um, the famous Grand Bazaar district, um, the um, where the various big high-profile mosques are, um, that's very well, labyrinth of um, alleys and streets and so on. But again, get more open up as it opens up more as you get towards the outskirts or the north of the city. The main districts that you will probably be based in um, is Beilu which is the, uh, when it was originally the capital, uh, when Constantinople was the capital of um, Turkey, that was where all the uh, various embassies were based. But after Ataturk moved the capital to Ankara, um, the area still remains a very international and very multicultural district, but it's where the vast majority of um, consulate generals are based, rather than just regular consulates. 
Um, this is where a lot of foreign interests still base their main consuls in the um, in the whole country here, rather than moving them to the capital. Hmm. It was the, the capital of the Roman Empire, so hmm. like Rome, it's it's fairly big, but it's in the middle. It's tight because they didn't have vehicles back then. So <laughs> labyrinthine—that's a really good word because that's really kind of what it is. Oh yes. <laughs> Is it still considered like a normal modern city at for this time in the seventies? Uh, not modern, um, not modern. Yeah, there's some modern, but there's, there's bits of it that are, uh, but emphasis on the bits. It's certainly not everywhere. Okay, uh, some of it is still going to be fairly fairly old school. Okay, it's a two thousand year old city. So. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, about half an hour before you land, um, this is actually landing in Paris. So you're going um, for Jacoby. This is going back the way you came. Right. Um, the pilot comes out. So it's in autopilot. It's not like the plane suddenly takes a nosedive. Um, he comes out to give you a quick brief. So, uh, we'll be swapping you over um, onto a commercial airliner from this point on to help with um, anyone that's looking for entrance for operatives into the country. Okay. Uh, you'll be flying first class Pan Am from uh, from Orly Airport to um, the main Istanbul Airport, which is um, Ishika Airport uh, down in the southwest. Uh, so traveling first class as consulate dignitaries, you'll be coming in as basically normal individuals rather than via private flight. So it just helps you come in a bit more in uh, hiding in plain sight, shall we say. Now, um, as far as our cover as a consulate, um, is there a way that my uh, my uh, knowledge base uh, incorporates into that? Like, I mean, I can understand if they're dignitaries or diplomats or whatever, but I'm a doctor, so yeah, it could be a it could be a scientific research company you're dealing with. Okay, and all all the details have been nicely wrapped up as confidential. Okay. So no one knows, um, no one is um, in that need to know circuit as to what it is you're dealing with. Right. Okay, cool. So the answer is, oh, so what do you do? We say, oh, I'm sorry, that's confidential. <laughs> you can say you work for the consulate, but that's about as much as right. you need to collaborate on. Because then it is, um, I was going to say patient. Uh, um, it is um, client confidentiality at that point kicks in. Right. Right. Do we need to go to... We need to come up with our own fake identity names, or is that too much? No, um, you can either use you can either use your own names, or you can come up with um, with a false um, name that then will be fitted into the legend that you've got. It's complete again, completely up to you. I kind of have to keep my name because people know me there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're a known face. That would be a little bit odd if you started coming up with a different name uh, for some reason. Mm. Interesting. You're gonna to have to keep your story straight as to who, who you tell you're working for the consulate. Um, you can always just do like James Bond and go in there and say, "My name's James Bond." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can use your real name. It's not going. To, it's not going to cause any problems. It's certainly not frowned upon. Okay, let's just. I'll probably do that then, just to keep it easier. Keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the less <laughs> the less lies you tell, the less you have to keep up with. <laughs> 
exactly it it makes that having to keep track of who you've told what to who am i to this person it keeps all of that down to zero mm-hmm. maybe i'll tell everybody in istanbul that my name is robert and in america i tell everybody my name is bob <laughs> there you go and in formal situations you probably call yourself robert yeah, so. yeah. um I tell them where all the good restaurants are. Mm. Oh, there's, there's loads in Bailu, um, loads of them. Um, another good area to go to is uh, Bebeth, which is up in the north. Yeah, again, it's more the nor- uh, more northerly area. Again, lo- lots of uh, wonderful fish cuisine around Bebeth. It's on the Bosphorus. So. There's some of the best fish you've ever had. Some of the best coffee as well. Um, plenty of coffee shops, especially around the bazaar, um, the Grand Bazaar. Yes, gentlemen, this is the birthplace of coffee. So. Oh. Maxwell House was formed here. Um, Philistine. <laughs> which which was the kind that had the the Turk on the cover on the, on the as their logo? I can't remember. Was that Maxwell House or? Uh... Uh, I don't think so. One of them had had the guy in the yellow uh, thing with the turban on his head sipping the coffee. I can't right. remember which one it is. It was a popular brand. Sanka. No, it wasn't Sanka. <laughs> <laughs> right. How about, um, can I ask, would we know the other agents that would be joining us, or would that just be revealed at the proper time? Uh, that will be revealed as um, as and when they will make contact with you. That um, you know from the paperwork that you've been given already, you will be their point of contact. They will approach you when they arrive. Okay, got it. Oh, and by the way, gentlemen, if you're not used to Turkish coffee, um, the grounds are in the coffee. They're very finely ground, and so you drink only about two-thirds of your coffee. Uh, leave the mud at the bottom. <laughs> or you can drink the mud, and then you'll be awake for two days. I, I can attest to that. Yes. <laughs> I, I love Turkish coffee. <laughs> and it's sweet. It's, it's, it's what sort sweet. of doctor are you, Mr. Jacoby? I'm sorry? What sort of doctor are you? Uh, I am a biologist, a uh, research biologist, uh, I have a background in f- forensics and surgery. So if uh, you get your arm cut off, I can sew it back on. Okay. Good. And if it's an alien arm, I can tell you which alien it is. <laughs> right. Um, on that wonderful note about potentially losing limbs, um, we'll cut forward to you landing, in pa- um, landing just outside Paris. Um, you are shown through um, immigration there um, into the main concourse where you're then waiting for your regular commercial, the Pan Am flight, um, with your um, illustrious first class tickets. Um, there's about an hour and a half or so delay before you go, before you get on the next flight. Um, the next leg takes about three and a half hours to get from Paris to, um, to Istanbul. But then with the time difference from where you are to Istanbul, it creates to another two hours on top of it. So you have much landed at um, 7.30 a.m. local time. So you set off at half four in the afternoon in Washington. Then with the six-hour time difference to get to Paris, it equates to landing in Paris about 6 a.m. 
Mm-hmm. The, the airport is starting to wake up for its normal normal day of operation, and then you'll be leaving there at seven thirty. Um, as you are queuing and waiting to get on um, get onto the um, the large Pan Am flight, uh, first roll of the game. Can I have spot hidden rolls, please? All right. Uh, yes, 56 out of 75. No for me. I'm reading the newspaper. Okay. So just the doctor notices it then. Yeah, in which case your, your colleagues are distracted. There's similar activity which is going up and down the line of people go um, people waiting, handing over their passports, handing over their tickets and such, and going, um, going up to the, uh, the ramp to get into the plane. Um, you see one um, lady about, about five or six people ahead of you. Um, she hands over her um, her stub and her passport, and she just casually looks around and locks eye contact, first of all, with the doctor, which is how you notice that she locks eyes with you. And for a second, there is just this utter look of panic and terror that comes across her face. She drops her passport and almost um, almost drops her um, her purse, her um, like shoulder, yeah, shoulder purse, handbag, and just goes white as a sheet as soon as she sees you. Um, so the attendant, so you're right, miss, and she uh, she says it in, in returning in English, um, in, in French actually, as it's says Paris, um, there that she she's okay, but so she just needs to sit down. Um, takes her ticket stub and boards as quick as she can onto the plane without looking back at you. Is this this isn't our plane or this is another plane? No, this is, plane? this is your plane. Okay, did did do I recognize her at all? Never seen her before in your life. She re- uh, she looks uh, maybe late thirties, uh, dressed fairly professionally. Um, she's dressed in a uh, in a trouser suit, uh, nice nicely tailored. Um, very expensive handbag that she's carrying. Um, her hair's done back and she's got a um, headband, which is keeping it back in place. But you've never, you, you sure you would recognize her if you saw her. You've, you've never seen her before. But she, the way she looked at you, it's as if she, she knew exactly who you were and that something clicked in her mind that equated to utter terror. Um, I'm thinking back. Uh, have I ever been uh, identified as an agent uh, that I know of? Or am I completely, you know, nobody should have any concept of who I am. Um, It distresses me because now I'm starting to think that maybe she could be KGB, she could be something, and she's recognized me from a briefing that she's had. But I'm trying to wonder if I was ever in such a briefing or why I would ever be mentioned by anybody that would cause that sort of look on her face. Maybe I just look like somebody. That, that is a possibility. Um, as far as you're aware, your cover is still intact. Um, it's not as if you've advertised the fact that you have done work for the CIA or have been recruited by them. Though, as far as you're aware, you should be, your, your cover should be intact. Okay. I wonder then, and I look at the other two men, 
they're standing next to me, these two. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, maybe she wasn't looking at me. Maybe she was looking at one of them. Sure, she had eye contact with me, but... You, you saw that she definitely clocked at least all three of you. The only one that you know for sure that you made eye, that you made eye contact with directly is yourself. But right. you know from how she looked that she did clock the other two and had the same reaction, just terror. Right. I say, uh, uh, I'm sure there's there's crowds of people around us. There's noise and there's everything else. And it's the bustle of an airport in the morning. Yeah, I just sort of lean into the the other gentleman. I say, gentlemen, uh, there was a young woman getting on the airplane just now uh, who looked at me and uh, reacted rather strongly, like she recognized who I am. It may be that she recognized one of you. She's getting on the same airplane we are. Which one? Oh, she's already gotten on the airplane. It happened very quickly. Hmm. But she seemed quite, quite shocked and terrified. Uh, it distresses me that we may have been made, you know, we, we may have uh-huh. recognized. Uh, I cannot honestly think of any reason why anybody would recognize me. Might recognize me as a doctor. That wouldn't be unusual, but do you uh, do you treat patients? Do you have patients? I have subjects who come in, and I and I you know I've, I've done some studies on them, and um, I certainly in a in a pinch I can certainly do. Like I say, I, can, I I've got surgery, so. But in general, no, I don't. Uh, I don't have patients. Not that kind of a doctor. I am that kind of a doctor, but I don't have patience. I'm a research doctor. Well, point her out to us when we get on the plane, and let's just keep an eye on her, and let's just see how it unfolds. Just, just as long as as one of us is keeping an eye on her. Okay. I, I describe think, her, I describe her clothing so that mm-hmm. they know. What was her ethnicity, Matt? Uh, from from what uh, the doctor would have seen, you reckon that she is either Mediterranean or, um, yeah, somewhere between Medi- the Mediterranean and Arabia. So more than likely, yeah. she is from Istanbul or from Turkey. Got it. Okay. Have a dark complexion. However, there are some people in France that have that sort of complexion, but mm. uh, <coughs> I'd say Mediterranean. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she's heading towards Istanbul because we're all heading towards Istanbul. Just keep just keep aware that that the whole just keep your wits about you. There's our, nothing to really worry about. Be up already, and uh, we just start. We haven't even started. Well, just stay frosty. Okay. Um, in which case, just about as you're finishing your uh, finishing a quick hush discussion, um, you get up to the uh, main booth where they take. Uh, so they check your passport, they take your ticket, and so on. Then say, "Have a pleasant flight. Please this out uh, this way." And you head on sort of first class board first. Um, there's a number of people obviously that have come ahead of you. Um, you're a little bit uh, delayed in getting to your seat as there's a slightly tall, again similar um, ethnicity, you probably think na- native Turk uh, man. Which it seems as though even though it's only half seven in the morning, he's already drunk. Oh, he is um, he's dressed in a long uh, long coat with a suit um, a suit underneath it uh, carrying a briefcase which he's trying to get up into the overhead compartment and keeps missing for the fact he's that ble- uh, bleary eyed 
trying to get down, trying to get it in his compartment above his seat. Um, Is he, he like he, right in front of us or? Yeah, I mean, immediately in front of you. Can I help Close. you with that? And I, I sort of help him push that up there where it's supposed to go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can, I can get this up. I'm not, not, not completely incapable. Maybe just, maybe just mostly, but no, I'm not completely incapable. No. Uh, he does um, start try, try, trying to force this. Um, you can give me a luck roll. Sure. Also, Turkish accent. Oh, very, very heavily. Uh, no, I got a ninety. Okay. Yep. He just get. He does get the briefcase up there. Okay. Um, slams the um, compartment shut, and then slumps down um, into the chair, immediately looking for the call. Um, call. <laughs> Five o'clock somewhere. Let's get this started. <laughs> Unusual gentleman. I, I, I sort of whisper back and I say, uh, obviously not a very religious Muslim. Oh, hell no. Because he wouldn't drink. Alcohol's forbidden. So. Right. Um, having a look, though, because um, he's um, blocking the, um, the aisle gives you at least enough time to have a look around and try to clock everyone that's there. You don't see the girl that you saw up um, ahead of you. She's not um, in first class. Although it is only first class boarding at the moment. Oh, that's odd. Mm -hmm. She's in the bathroom. Bathroom, if you go check over to see if anyone's in there, the um, one of the bathrooms is currently engaged. So, gentlemen, I suggest we keep our eye on the bathroom after we've taken our seats and see if, uh, unless somebody needs to use the bathroom, we could just yeah, wait. There are, there are two up there. Just wait for it. Get her when she comes out. And she, um, as you're you know, quite eagle-eyed there, everyone starts boarding onto the plane. Um, the outer door's closed, and they start taxiing. At which point the no uh, the fasten seatbelt sign comes on, and exactly as the sign beeps, the door opens from the uh, from the bathroom, and she makes her way um, to her seat. She's about four rows ahead of you. Mm -hmm. She literally darts back into her seat and clamps the buckle together as quick as she can. Do you see that, gentlemen? Yeah. Yeah. There's no need for spot hidden for that. She's blatantly out in the open. Right. And otherwise, plane takes off, um, you get to a cruising altitude, and time starts to pass. Now, first class is about half full, so there's plenty of room to spread out, even more room than you would normally have in first class. Um, you can see that the uh, gentleman up front, um, he already ordered um, a bottle of champagne from the, uh, from the waitress, uh, from the attendant before the plane got off the ground. Um, he is already partaking in his second, not too long thereafter. Dang. So what about the, the woman? Is What's her demeanor at this time? I mean, is she white-knuckling this entire ride? Is she looking back at us? I mean... Yeah, she does try to sneak back a couple of looks relatively infrequently. Otherwise, she just sits with her arms on the arms of the chair, gripped from the, from the angle you can see. You can see her, le her left hand gripping mm -hmm. 
seat. And yet she's holding on pretty securely and her head is just looking straight forward. Hmm. So it's not as if she's uh, got her head in a book. She is just looking straight ahead of her motion. What about her interactions with the stewardesses? Um, almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the stewardess comes by, says, would you like anything? She just does a quick, and then mm-hmm. sends them on their way. You say that the first class is only about half full. I'm wondering if... I'm I'm sort of half entertaining the idea of just going over and sitting next to her or near her uh, and seeing how nervous it makes her. Um, I really don't want her to pull out a gun and shoot me in the head, though. <laughs> so, it's on an airplane. Yeah, not, not exactly the best uh, confines to start uh, letting bullets fly. But she's not acting like a spy. If she were a spy... She wouldn't give away this much information with her body language. She, mm-hmm. she, she has either seen one of us before, and that why would that make her nervous? It would make her nervous if she was up to no good. Well, I think we also need to remember that each of us has two... Uh, professions there's the cia and then there's section 46 we seem to be discounting that she wouldn't know us from the cia but we can't discount that she may know us or be aware of us in our other capacity as investigators for section 46 right because there she may not be an agent but could she be a cult member? Well, I, I, you, you gave me an idea for another possibility. If she was a secretary that worked in Section 46 and she saw the three of us and she knew who we were, she could be thinking, holy shit, I'm getting on an airplane with agent, agents from 46. What's going to happen to the airplane? <laughs> she could be thinking that we're investigating some horror that's on the airplane, and now she's on the airplane and she's terrified. Or she's like, I'm going to be in the same city with these people. Do I really want to be there? Right. We're like the men in black. Black um, is slimming. But I don't know. She seems terrified when she saw us. <sighs> Who could she be? I keep that's racking a, my brains. That's a unusual... Um, uh, you know, fear. That, that's. I can't find the right word, but you know, I think you know what I'm saying. Well, I hope that no cult people know who we are. I mean, we wouldn't be very effective in our jobs if we if if they all had dossiers on us. All <laughs> they just pick us off one by one. Um. So there's no there's nothing. I'm racking my brains to see if I recognize her in any way, but there's nothing there. You can give me, because admittedly you have been in Istanbul for a fair while. Right. You can give me an int roll, but I'm going to ask for an extreme to even, well, after you sit thinking about it for long enough, whether you do recognize her at all. First glance, no. All right. 
my intelligence is 80 and I got 30. So no, it's a, it's a hard roll, but it's not an extreme. No, she just doesn't move in the circles that, uh, that you move in. You are absolutely downright positive. You have never seen her before. I've never seen that woman before. I never forget a face. So it must be one of you two. <coughs> you, you made the Ian call joke there. Right, right. I don't think. I mean, do we want to make those rolls? Do we want to? I mean, do I recognize her? Um, given the given the circles that you move, um, that both of you move in, uh, it would be a stretch, even an extreme roll for Summerton. So no, I'm okay. You, you two again, the similar racking of brain, but you come to the conclusion even quicker. You have no idea who this person is. Should we start to think of a plan now as to when we land? Should one of us follow her? Uh, we're, we're putting, putting, a, we're putting a lot on something that might be nothing at all. I might look like her ex-husband for all we know. You know, I might look like the man that molested her when she was 17. But is that a, a risk we want to take if, if she's ID'd us or you? I think it's worth thinking about at least maybe one of us following her. It's too bad this isn't like James Bond where we have little tracking devices we can pin on her mm -hmm. phone. Mm -hmm. find out where she's going we weren't briefed by q before we got you know <laughs> we, did, we weren't giving any gadgets at the very beginning of the movie uh q all we got is speaking of which ian would i know what your specialty is doubtful okay a man of mystery <laughs> Right. So, the leading question here is that does anyone want to do anything on the flight, or are you happy to proceed to the point where you land? Well, when we well, here's a question: when we get to Istanbul, are we going to be put in cars and rushed to wherever we're supposed to go, or do we more or less need to just make our way there on our own? We kind of know where we're going. Uh, it was mentioned in the meeting that um, Bennett would be picking you up from the airport. Yeah, that's right. She's the female operative. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we could just casually follow her around for a while before we. Yeah. But there's nothing to say that you might um, that you couldn't convince Bennett to say follow that car. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or yeah, do you recognize? Or do you recognize that woman? It's possible too that there would be other operatives like us in. Istanbul right now, and we could you know, put a trace on that woman there, see what she's up to. Well, why don't? So I'm curious to follow her when she gets off the plane. So why don't you guys proceed with the plan? Um, I'll make arrangements later to have my luggage transported to our hotel. I guess right. Mm -hmm. um, that. And then I'll I'll just follow as far as I can. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you guys can stall Bennett until I get there. And if it's if I'm gone for longer than you know, 30, 40 minutes, then uh, just go without me. But 
Um, here's the thing. At this point in time on the airplane, she has seen us and we've seen her and she knows that we've seen her. So why don't I just go over there and say, excuse me, miss, but why do you seem to be so nervous looking at me? Go for it. What what can she do except pee? She might pee the way she's acting. <laughs> uh, I mean, what? Because there's no, there's no. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go take the seat next to her if it's empty. Yeah, it certainly is. Um when do you want to make your move? It's a three and a half hour flight. How long into that do you want to leave it? Uh, <laughs> practical about that. That was like such an innocent question. But except, so except once again, I mean, we're on the flight together. If she was going to do something, she would just do it, right? I think she's trying to hope. I don't know why. She's sitting there hoping that we won't notice her, but she knows we've noticed her. Um, I'm going to do it right now. I'm just going to go on. I say, guys, you know, guys are armed. I mean, you guys have ways of getting on the airplane. With. <laughs> just, well, just remember, this is the 1970s, too, so it's a little bit more lax, yeah. I guess. Watch, well, just watch my back. All right. If we see any black obsidian daggers being pulled from her purse, we'll, you know, we'll jump in. It's, it's good. Yeah. Well, and, uh, before, before we go into this, I'm saying to the GM, I am perfectly uh, prepared for any kind of covert knife to the ribs or anything that she might be doing. So I am an, I am a well-trained uh, Remember, so I'm just going to I'm going to go sit next to her. Do you have another character role just in case? <laughs> <laughs> just a backup, you know, someone that can come out of the bathroom and suddenly appear on our stage, right? Uh, I've got I I'm a doctor. I can cure anything. So if I'm dead, I'll just stick a resurrection potion. Physician, heal thyself quickly. Right as. Um, I think then as you're, you're saying you're arriving to this decision fairly quick, this will be within the first hour of the flight then. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go up. I'll, uh, if the seat next to her is empty, I'm going to put my hand on it and lean over to, so that she sees me standing there. And I say, excuse me, do you mind if I sit here? Okay. Uh, you can give me a psychology role as you get that up close and personal. All right. Uh, oh, four. I, I'll see what my psychology actually is. Oh, I got 50, 50 percent. So I did extreme. You certainly did. Um, any fears that you have about sitting down and getting knifed in a covert fashion suddenly just disappear from your brain. Okay. She is a civilian. She okay. is showing no sign of um, any kind of professional covert training that she would be on any kind of defense. She okay. is literally just a poor, scared, late 30s year old woman. Okay. Um, she looks down at your hand with just wide eyes and then follows, uh, follows the arm back up to your face and just says in relatively good English, though, uh, 
yes, I mind. I'd like to be left alone, please. Um, please go. I, uh, I, I uh, maneuver myself so that I can sort of lean down and I say, ma'am, you seem to be afraid of me and I don't understand why. Do I look like somebody that you know? Uh, you can see she's starting to hyperventilate. I'm like, it's okay. Calm down. I, I'm not in any way going to hurt you. I'm just perplexed by your reaction. I'm a doctor. You can give me a persuade roll, um, but you're looking for a hard roll this time. Okay. What is my persuade? 80. <laughs> Let's see what I get. You're the right person to make this contact then. I got 91. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm like, okay, she's going to barf on me. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry that I bothered you. And I go back and I, I look at, at these two and I'm just like, uh, um, as you are, as you turn your back to her, you do indeed hear her frantically trying to get hold of a, um, of a paper bag. And yeah, she unloads into it. And then very quickly after that runs to the toilet. All right. I go back and I say, I, I didn't get anything out of her. I think that she's just a civilian. I think she thinks I'm somebody. And I'm nobody. I think you got something out of her. Well, yeah. More than I wanted. <laughs> she had fish. <laughs> Maybe red herring? <laughs> Maybe red herring. <laughs> gotcha! <laughs> this isn't some role-playing game. <laughs> so I, write, I write mystery novels. What can I do? I'm now. I kind of feel guilty that I scared the barf out of her. <laughs> so, did you alleviate her fears, or did no? I think she, for some reason, she's terrified. Now, maybe I just. My only guess is that I look like somebody that she knows, and it scared the shit out of her. Maybe she thinks I'm some sort of a. CIA operative who's uh, following her around or something. I don't know. They have, they're kind of anti-American, so who knows? That would probably be more likely to instill anger rather right. than... And the, the airplane's probably full of white people, sorry, Caucasians, so she wouldn't know one thing from the other. It's a mixture. She didn't need us to worry. For all she knows, I'm French. Um, you did actually, she did actually default to well, English, depending on. I imagine that you would have obviously addressed her in your native uh, native tongue. Right. She did speak English. Mm -hmm. Heard her speak French in the in the uh, airport, and she's Turkish. Mm -hmm. She's multilingual. Yes. I suppose that's not that unusual for somebody from Turkey. Multilingual is far more common. It's it's not as common in the U.S. as it is in, in Europe. Yeah. Well, I I don't think that it's anything. But but you know, if you guys want to have a little fun scaring scaring her to death, and she's going to have to eat dinner, eat all over again. She probably won't want to. All right, so I'm I'm going to sit down and just order a drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice vodka tonic would be nice. Yep, so you have all the um, advantages and perks of being in first class. So the um, the estuaries will uh, tend to your needs as um, as required. The drinks flow. 
uh, good food makes its way out um, out to yourself uh, and becomes very um, obvious as time passes he's not coming out of the toilet um, the there are every so often a stewardess does go over to the door and has a uh, has a knock and you can hear the um, there's a um, conversation of you are you all right in there miss and then um, you catch bits of it depending on how loud she is and depending on how uh, persistent the stewardess is um, as if she's bawling her eyes out in there and crying her eyes out just saying leave me alone <sighs> I do have that effect on women well I feel really guilty now well, she may so just guilty. have a fear of flying right Flying with me, apparently. Jeez, mm -hmm. is there? Is my hair? Is my hair like messed up or something? Is what's what's wrong with me? I turned the look at. Ooh, do I have <laughs> your two pays on straight? It's okay. <laughs> it's my real hair. <laughs> it just looks like a toupee. So oh. I, I'm just. I don't feel guilty anymore. I just ignore it from this point on. Well, given that you've got another two and a half hours, that feeling passes. <laughs> With good food and good liquor, you know, it's, you know, these things, water under the bridge. Mm -hmm. I figure sometime years from now, I'll tell my friends, this is time I was on an airplane. I scared the barf right out of this woman. I still don't <laughs> know why. Maybe in a few years, you might understand why. Mm -hmm. Right, in which case, the other two and a half hours fly by, mm -hmm. and you land at um, Yishikur Airport on the outskirts of Istanbul. Um, the plane comes in; it's a nice, soft landing. Taxi across the runway to the um, across the terminal. As soon as the door is uh, the outer door is open, literally again, the very instant door is open, she is gone. Yeah. She is, the first, <laughs> one. she is the first one off the plane. Can I do make an attempt to follow? You can. Um, I'm going to ask for a hard dex roll. Okay. Yeah, you got to get through the people. Specifically one person, one very drunk person who's getting out of his seat. Oh, right, right, right. I was going to say that she's only four words ahead of us, but... Mm -hmm. Ooh, nope, he blocked my way. He is okay. getting his bag out of the compartment. <laughs> um, you can, in which case, um, you and everyone can give me a spot hidden roll. All right. No, golly, bummy. I must have no. had too many vodka tonics. Uh, pass for me, but regular. Okay, regular's all you need. Um, you... I ch I'm not charge down the aisle, but leap out of your chair as quick as you can and start heading towards the entrance um, or the exit to the plane. At the same time that the drunk guy gets out of his seat, um, you just you can't help it. Just momentum carries you into him and you collapse on top of him, sending both you and him to the ground. As you hit the ground, or as he hits the ground, his, his jacket opens and this... For a second, there's a glint of gold which just runs out. Um, it just drops out of his pocket and rolls under the adjacent seat. Um, 
from your up close and personal position, it looks maybe about that long, maybe an inch, maybe slightly longer, um, about a centimetre or about half an inch wide at the bottom, a cone of gold with this strained arabesque squirrel that runs up to its tip. It's very um, almost like home fashioned. It's definitely not mass produced, but you catch this glint, um, this glint of it as it rolls under the, um, under the chair. You don't think that the drunk guy has noticed that it's fallen out of his pocket. Hmm. Uh, he is looking up at you um, going, what the hell do you think you're doing? So sorry, so sorry. So sorry, sir. I was in a hurry to, to get off and I I ran too fast. I apologize. Can I help you get up? Yeah, you damn well can. He kind of, of, of waves both arms around at you. You're kind of looking at and think you can always see the speech bubble come up for his head thinking, hang on a minute, when did I have four arms? <laughs> Grab that bobble. Yeah, at, at some point, either as I'm helping him up or as soon as he turns his back, I'll see if I can pocket that without him noticing. Uh, easily. Um, okay. He is not noticing much around him at the minute. Okay. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> such an inebriated state, there's no way he's going to have noticed that you've got that. Okay. You can easily, just as you put your hand down to kind of um, help prop yourself up, that yeah, you can easily grab that. All right. And then I'll continue to, to try to get past him and see if I can catch up to the woman, although I doubt it. No. Um, the delay gives her too much of a head start. By the time you get out of the um, out of the main um, gangway up yeah. into the terminal, there are people all around you. Yeah. But even then, you think well, one of the logical places that she would go to would be baggage claim. I was going to ask, did I notice her? She didn't have. She didn't even have time to grab any overhead baggage, so no, she had no carry on. Um, in fact, I won't give it to you because it's uh, something you've asked for specifically. When she ran, you did. Um, you see that she didn't have a handbag with her. So somewhere it's still on the plane. Oh, okay. Well, having lost her then, I'll make my way back onto the plane because I probably have a bag for my own unless Ian grabbed it. But, mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, maybe I'll bring that information up to uh, the doctor. Maybe the purse, her purse is still there. Yeah, you're, you're kind of stuck waiting on the um, on the gangway. Yeah. You, um, you had moved ahead, so I think that we, we, we may have surmised the same thing. So I look up there and I hang back and wait for people to grab their bags and things. I grab mine. Yeah. But then once the people in our area have kind of cleared out, I look up there and I see if there's another bag that somebody hasn't grabbed. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not in the overhead because it was a bit small, but it is tucked under her seat. All right. So I'm going to grab that. Mm -hmm. No. Bless you three oh, times. <laughs> Second cold of the month. Oh. It's because I bragged that I hadn't had a cold in two years. Yeah. Um, I just got over it. It's it's a killer. Not literally, but it ain't it ain't playing around. So uh what kind of bag is it? It's a fairly expensive handbag, um, worn over the shoulder. Um doesn't seem to be very much in it, but there are, there is definitely something in there. You mean like a purse? 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's there's a purse within the handbag. Okay. Um. So I discreetly uh, look through it and see if there's any identification, any anything like that. There is alongside um, things like um, sort of hand wipes, um, small bottle of perfume, um, small um, paperback novel that's in um, that's in there, and uh, obviously her purse. Um, the purse has plenty of um, notes in it, so um, currency, mostly francs, but there is some um, there's some Turkish lira in there as well, um, which at this point is pretty much worth nothing. It's one of right. the worst most valued. Um, currencies in the world um, but there is a small not uh, yeah we'll call it a case rather than a box okay. um, that's about yay long about yay wide about the right kind of size for a business card and okay. as you open it up it is in fact a small stack of business cards all the okay. same i pull one of them out close okay. the case back up what does the business card say uh, the name is I have to make sure my pronunciation's right here. Uh, Maram Coach. And it has um, an address for the, the... Bear with me a second. It has an address for the Istanbul University. Ah, University of Istanbul. That might be where she saw me. I still don't know why she wouldn't react. Why she would react the way she did? The um, the main part of her where it lists her profession rather than just saying Istanbul University rather than University of Istanbul, um, just states um, in Turkish architect. She's an architect. No, I really don't know why she would have anything to do with me. Yep, it's not not a sphere that you move in. And yeah. you're aware of the the Istanbul University. Um, it's in uh, kind of the downtown areas, very near again, very near the mosques. It's across right. the um, across the Galata Bridge from um, from Bellahu. Well, nothing, uh, nothing in for interesting other than that. No, well, it's a well-thumbed paperback novel. I uh, I take the business card and slip it into my jacket pocket, put everything mm -hmm. back the way that it was, and then as we're exiting the airplane, I hand it to the stewardess, and I say, uh, "The woman that was ahead of us in the airplane left this in her seat." Uh, she must have missed it. Maybe you could put it in lost and found or whatever. Yeah, the, the stewardess is a bit surprised. Like, oh yeah, that's uh, well. Th thank you for uh, thank you for you, uh, bringing that to our attention. We, yeah, we'll indeed we'll get that to the airport lost and found. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's see. We're looking for Miss Bennett. Is yep, this somebody uh, any of us know? You will you will know her by sight because you've uh, touched base with the um, with the station in Istanbul before. Probably not had much to do um, to do with her, okay. but you know her by sight. You must be Miss Bennett. Yep, and um, heading out um, through the say through passport control through um, and such through baggage claim, 
Um, outside by the taxi rank, there is a um, fairly nice sedan, so big stretch, not limo, uh, limo style, but stretch, so you've got plenty of room. And again, yeah, a lady in her, you think, late 30s, early 40s. Can I, um, um, interrupt? Waiting there. Hmm? Can, I interrupt, can I interrupt there? Sorry, uh, Tom, you jumped a little ahead of me too fast there. I'm sorry. When, we, when we're still like making our way uh, from the plane through the baggage area, I'm gonna uh, take take that uh, gold thing out and look at it closer. Okay. And yep. at the same time, if it seems strange or to any of us, maybe I'll mention that, you know, keep an eye on that guy. Uh, you're showing it to everyone else? Yeah. Because I don't speak Arabic, is that what you said, Arabic? Um, Arabesque, it's a um, like a pattern. Um, like it's more flowery. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's not writing. No, it's definitely not writing. No. Okay. Um, however, um, Jacoby's seen stuff like this before. Um, this would uh, you reckon this is the kind of gold that would be fashioned underwater if you get my drift? Yeah. Um, oh boy. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And this man had the drunk man had this. Mm -hmm. You know what this is. Well, I I have a very very strong suspicion. Um, we'll talk when we're in private about it. For now, let's. It's just too much information okay. around here. But we need to find out who that man was and what was going on here, or why he was here. I I'm trying to think now. If if I got a good look at his face, yeah, and if there were if there were any features that I could identify as uh, a telling, you know, he has somewhat of a rugged expression. You you could definitely describe him fairly well. Um, yeah, sort of a long, slightly long face, but uh, maybe a high forehead. Uh huh. So yeah, you you've got enough of a. Um, enough key indicators that it might jog someone's memory if they'd obviously if they'd met him, or be able to start some kind of search for him. Well, what I was uh, okay. What I was also talking about was certain uh, uh, lineages that I'm familiar with. Oh, nothing on that line, no. Okay. Uh, very interesting, though. So. Uh, we yeah we'll talk about that later. I'll, I'll explain that to you later. And as far as I can tell you what it is, but um, so we we meet Miss Bennett and uh, where is she? Ta she's taking us to the consulate. Yep, uh, you'll be. Uh, she's very uh, very much like yourself. She's very stoic. She has a very emotionless um, demeanor when you approach her outside the airport. Okay. Um, she opens the car door uh, for you pretty much without just saying a word and just looks at the seat and looks back up, um, looks back up at you three. What a lovely woman. So chilly. <laughs> um, all right. So we're all in the, I guess we're all in the car. Mm -hmm. um, are, are they taking us to uh, the consulate or are they taking us to our, our hotel or wherever? I actually have a place, but I would assume we would start at the consulate, depending on the time of day. 
Uh, you land at 1 p.m. local time. Okay. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Yeah, uh, driving, even though driving from the airport all the way up to the American consulate is probably going to take you at least a couple of hours. Oh. Um, it is a long way north of the city, or at least north of downtown and north of where the airport is. It's probably terrible traffic in certain parts, too, because yeah. the city's not built for traffic. But there are certain wide boulevards um, that mainly, again, go through the international quarter, through Bella, uh, through right. Bella but you still then got to get through the rest of the city even now. Right. Uh, but she seems to um, she seems to have quite a confident um, command of the vehicle as she's as she's driving along. She's not like speeding, but she's driving at a nice, comfortable um, comfortable speed, going around traffic where she can, and does take a couple of twists and turns where you think, yeah, she's she's a local that's been here a while and knows her way to get round around uh, downtown and up towards up towards the north without having getting stuck in any um, any traffic jams. Also, being outside of rush hour as well helps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I look back at uh, at Ian and Robert, and I'm like, now if you're not used to driving in this kind of a foreign country, I'd suggest you close your eyes because it's going to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> These people drive like maniacs, like you've never Anytime seen. Anytime that Dr. Jacoby goes into lecture mode, I'm just going to roll my eyes just a little bit <laughs> i'm sorry it comes from being a research scientist i'm always teaching people shit there right. is a definite air of how she drives that she is treating every other driver on the road as an enemy combatant <laughs> kill or be killed mm-hmm. indeed um a couple of hours get uh, get through again uneventfully. Maybe a couple of times when she takes a corner a little bit too fast, but she is pretty quiet um, all the journey up there. She doesn't really speak unless spoken to. It really depends if anyone wants to uh, wants to strike up conversation with her or not. Um, we we haven't we haven't met her before, right? No, okay. I've seen her, but I. She's a field agent. She's just she's just being very doing her job, you know. Well, I guess I'll ask then because um, if she's only like one of say three people that knows who we are, she's obviously been briefed to some degree. So I'll just ask her uh, first, you know, make proper greetings to her. Hello, Miss Bennett, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask. Uh, are you familiar with this project at all yet, or? Um, she just like a bit of a, not a long breath in, but definitely a pronounced breath in. I'm aware. Okay. Is there anything additional that you might be able to share with us? That... She cocks her head slightly. Um, what do you mean by additional? Well, uh, have you met this, uh, this uh, Vadim? No, I've I've not met him personally. Um, okay. I'm familiar with Makar. Okay. It was actually myself that interviewed him when he came in. And what's your take on him? Is, does he seem trustworthy? We were having a discussion earlier about his level of trust. I think for someone who charges such a high price for information that he gives, there is a certain degree of brought trust. 
that as long as you can pay him for the info, he will make sure that the amount he's being paid means that he doesn't have to worry about being um, being paid by anyone else. Mm -hmm. So he's a businessman. Very much so. Okay, that's good to know. Has anything changed in the last 24 hours since we were previously briefed? No, uh, we, the only thing, I'm not sure if uh, you've been communicated this by, um, by your superiors yet, um, that we have a meeting set up with him for tomorrow night. Oh, good. Yes. Good. Yeah, well, that'll, that'll be taking place at the restaurant at the top of the Glatter Tower. All right. Um, how familiar are you with, uh, 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 other, uh, well, with other business going on in the city? If I, uh, uh, does the name uh, Marum Coach mean anything to you? You can see that she thinks for a second. No, don't believe I. Marum, female name. Um, no, I don't believe I've met her or had any dealings with her. Was she connected with Kazakov? Uh, not that I know of. I believe she's an architect. It was a strange encounter we had on the airplane. Um, she seemed for some reason to recognize one of us. Um, hmm. But uh, we can't think of any reason why. She oh, just she... seems to be a right. She had no, uh, from her demeanor, she had no training whatsoever. She was not an, an agent of any kind. She um, raises an eyebrow. Um, can you describe her? Yeah, so I, I basically give her a, a fairly complete description of her. Yeah, she just shakes her head more through the description that, no, not someone I'm aware of. Definitely not anyone that's at least a big player if they are connected with any of the intelligence agencies out here. Definitely no one I'm familiar with. Might May the MIT connected, but again, I've not heard of her. The only MIT that we know that's in town at the minute is Barris. Well, from what I understand, my, my opinion is that she's not connected in that way. She, would have, she wouldn't have acted the way that she did. She acted as if she had seen a ghost. And uh, it just struck me. Uh, it's probably nothing. I probably reminded her of an ex-husband or something like that. It scared her. I don't know what, but. Women um, are not exactly treated very well by by some people in this these sort of countries. Your choice of words is interesting there. Um, everyone can give me a psychology role when one particular word is mentioned. Um, pass. Barely. <laughs> Three points. Regular's fine. One point away from an extreme. Oh, okay, so you are... Just significantly better. And Summerton? Extreme pass. Oh, wow. Okay, so we got one from each. Regular, hard, <laughs> and extreme. Um, the regular, then, gives you... Yeah, well, particularly mentions about ghosts. That she has a little bit of a... She almost not, not flinches, but you can see her hands get a little bit tighter on the wheel. Okay. Uh, and then she... Well, you, you see that. The, the hard success gives you yeah she definitely tries to cover it up she uh, like her poker face slipped for a moment but that that word touched a nerve mm. uh, with the extreme there's a little bit of twinge of guilt there as well it's definitely touched a nerve that something that she's guilty about has 
surfaced. But not in connection with her, just the when you say about ghosts. Hmm. And in which case you get to the um, you get to the consulate, she hops out of the car, she opens the door for you and says, um, you'll be you can head through, um, head up to the consul's office. Um, Leighton and Harlow will be expecting you there. Excellent. Um, looking at the time, I think that is probably the best point at which we can call it a night. That's Excellent. perfect timing. Really a good, good scenario. This is wonderful. I feel like a spy. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, our players tonight uh, for this episode included uh, Jeff Wilkins, Bill Mize, uh, myself, and uh, Matthew Sanderson is the keeper of the secrets. We're currently producing four shows a week with music and sound effects added in post-production in order to create a richer listener experience. We provide audio-only versions of our shows free for you to download from Podbean or iTunes. If you'd like to become a patron, visit our Patreon account. Just a dollar to a month helps us a lot. Like, share, and subscribe, and punch the bell icon for updates on our latest shows, and leave us some comments. We love reading them. This is Tom Rayleigh, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of H.P. Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck, good gaming. Thank you.